Let's get into let's get into the word this morning. How many of you guys have been cold in the last couple of weeks? All right. Most of the women raising their hands, right? <laughs> Those are the ones that are cold. Uh, you know, at our house, at the Hamilton house, when uh, the temperature dropped below 50, uh, the heat came on. And then the AC came on the next morning, right? Um, we, we, that's how we do. I know some people that as soon as it gets cold, they wait for four more weeks before they even touch the heat, right? Before they even think about, but not at the Hamilton household. As soon as it gets cold, we're cutting the heat on. Even we've got to cut the, the air conditioner back on later on. Uh, and as cold as it has been uh, over the last couple of weeks, it hasn't been real cold, right? Real cold is the absence of heat, Real cold is the absence of heat. And that is actually 459.67 degrees below zero. That's what real cold is. That's the absence of heat. And scientists call this absolute zero. 459 degrees below zero is absolute zero. And you know, that got me thinking how in the world did our zero get so far off, <laughs> right? If absolute zero is 459 degrees, how in the world did our zero get almost 500 degrees off from the truth? You know, it's a dangerous thing. Think about going the opposite way, right? Imagine you've got some friends over and you got the hot tub going and uh, you say, hey, I'm going to set it at 120, right? And really it's 570, Woo! It'd be some hurting people, right? It'd be dangerous. Our zero has gotten so far off because a guy named Fahrenheit decided to come up with his own temperature scale. He decided to come up with his own temperature scale. He watched water freeze, and he said, ah, that's 32. (laughs) And then he saw it boil, and he said, that's 212. And then he mixed equal parts of snow and salt and said, well, that's zero. And we've been using that scale to measure temperature ever since. It's not an absolute scale. It's a relative scale. Now, we all know the dangers of rejecting absolute truths for relative truths or absolute morals for situational ethics. And all we have to do is turn on the news or flip on social media to see the dangers and find people who have substituted absolute truth for something less than. But what happens when we replace absolute forgiveness with something less than, with its thinner cousins. Well, what we may be left with is 500 degrees of relative vengeance left unresolved. Today, we come to the end of our study of looking at Joseph's life. And and over the last couple of weeks, Joseph has really taught us so much about life, right? He has shown us uh, how to stay true to God, even when things are falling apart in our lives. Uh, He has shown us how to face and fight temptation uh, by speaking the truth of God's word in the face of temptation. And he showed us uh, that we need to know when to walk away and we need to know when to run. Joseph showed us how to suffer successfully. And then we saw the results of Joseph's life and his convictions that they had stood the tests of time through trial and perseverance and through hardship over and over again. And we saw that they produced a life of obedience and a life 
of wisdom. And we saw some of the signs of that wisdom. And we, we said that we can look for those signs in our own life as well. And then we also saw that there are two checks that we can put in our life to gain wisdom. We can check our source of wisdom and make sure that our source of wisdom is God's word and God himself. And then the second check is we can check our team and make sure that we are surrounded by godly men and women who will give us godly wisdom. Well, today... Joseph is going to teach us once again. He's going to show us some actions that we can take to move toward absolute forgiveness. And forgiveness, absolute forgiveness, uh, it releases all grudges, it removes all shame, it restores full fellowship. And he's going to show us that, that forgiveness can produce reconciliation. And this type of forgiveness is a foreshadow to the forgiveness that God is going to give all mankind through his son, Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 45. And uh, we'll get there in just a minute. We're going to kind of go through the story of Genesis 42 through 44, and then we'll, we'll dive into Genesis 45. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. If you're looking for the book of Genesis, it's the very first book of the Bible. So just open up to the first couple pages and then go over to chapter 45. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table we would love to give you um, as a gift from us. But as you're turning there, let's uh, go back and kind of look at what's happened since we last saw Joseph. You see, better than destroying enemies and settling scores, forgiveness brings about repentance and reconciliation And Joseph is going to be a model of this for us. With all of the power of Egypt at his back, Joseph could have done anything to his brothers that he wanted. But instead, Joseph is going to choose to forgive them instead. And not just a half-hearted or a grudgingly forgiving them, but a forgiveness that is absolute. But let me tell you, this type of forgiveness is far from easy. In fact, it's difficult. But whatever it may cost us to offer this type of forgiveness to others, the cost is worth it in the end. So when we left Joseph, we saw that he had been taken up from jail. He had been brought up because he was able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh And Pharaoh put him in charge so that they could prepare the land uh, for what was predicted in Pharaoh's dream for the seven years of famine that were to come. And just as Joseph said it were, there were seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And we are just a couple of years into that where we pick up in Genesis 45. And as we, we start to see God's plan here for Joseph unfolding, we, we start to see how God had been working all of this time to put Joseph in this place at the right time for this time. And we start to see his plan unfolding. And it's not long before the effects of that famine are felt not only in Egypt, but in the surrounding areas, and even into Cana, where Joseph was from. And so Joseph's father, Israel, who's also known as Jacob, uh, he gets word that there is food, there is grain in the land of Egypt. And so 
he decides to send all of his sons except for Benjamin and Joseph, right? Because he thought that Joseph was dead. Uh, he decides to send all of the rest of the brothers down to Egypt to buy grain. So the brothers head down to Egypt. And Joseph, at this time, has become the governor of the land. And he was overseeing all of the sales of the grain that had been stored up in the years of plenty. And Joseph sees his brothers coming in line to buy grain. And I wonder if it was just like his brothers had seen him that day when they plotted to kill him and ended up selling him in slavery. He, he sees his brothers coming and getting in line, and he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. It had been many years since they had last seen him. Uh, he was dressed probably differently than they had last seen him. And then when Joseph addressed his brothers, he used an interpreter uh, to talk to them to make it seem like he, he didn't know uh, who they were or that he could speak their language. And also, in their minds, Joseph was dead and gone. There's no way that he would be now in charge of all of Egypt, right? So th there's no way they would think that this is Joseph. And Joseph remembers the dream that he had as a kid, and now he sees how this dream is coming to reality. Joseph begins speaking harshly to his brothers, not because Joseph is trying to be hard on them, not to get revenge on them, but as we are going to see unfold, Joseph speaks harshly to them, to help lead them to repentance. Where did you come from? Why are you here, Joseph says. And then he says, you guys are spies coming to spy out our land. And before they could even get the words out, they, they tried to explain themselves. They said, no, 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 we are not spies. We are all brothers from, from one man. Uh, we are our 12 brothers. One of our brothers is no more. The other one, the youngest, is back at home with our father. And before long, Joseph throws them all into jail. And there they sit for three days. Their pleading hadn't worked. And finally, Joseph brings them out of jail and says, okay, leave one of your brothers here and go back and get your youngest brother to prove to me that your story is true. To prove to me that you aren't spies. But if you don't go and get your youngest brother and bring him back to me, don't come back again because I'm going to kill you. He gives them this threat. Remember, they still don't know who he is. So immediately, they begin to draw the connection. And they say, oh man, this is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph. Not thinking that Joseph is standing right there. So they buy their grain and Joseph sends them off. But Joseph puts their money back into their bags of grain. And as they're traveling home, they find this and they realize that this means trouble. So they get back and they report everything to their father. They say, man, this guy was so mean to us. He, uh, he just, he harassed us. And then he kept one of our brothers there in jail. And we have to go back and get him, but we have to take Benjamin. And, and Israel is having none of it. He says, look, I've already lost two sons now. And they're like, but dad, we can go back and get one of those, Right. The one that's still in jail, we can go back and get. All we got to do is take Benjamin. He says, no way. I'm not going to lose three. And they tried to convince him. But Israel was having none of it. That was until all the food that they had bought was gone. <laughs> and then they didn't have much option. They had no choice. And so Israel says, okay, go back and buy some food. And they say, uh-uh, we ain't going unless Benjamin's going. 
And so finally, Israel says, okay, take Benjamin, go and buy some food, take the money that was put back in your bags, carry it, take some many, many gifts and, and, and try to explain to them that we didn't try to steal this from them. And so they get back and they're reunited with their brother and Joseph has them over to his home. And when Joseph sees his brother Benjamin, he begins to break down. And in fact, he, he begins to break down so much that he has to leave the room to compose himself so that his cover isn't blown. And so he goes out of the room and he composes himself and he returns and they have this feast. And so then after the feast, they send them back with grain. And Joseph again puts all the money back in their bags, but he also puts his own cup in the bag of Benjamin. And then he sends a servant after them. And this leads to this final confrontation that Joseph has with his brothers and then finally revealing who his true identity is. Friends, forgiveness is some of the hardest work that we will ever do. And forgiveness means, among other things, bearing the pain of past wounds without retaliation. Forgiveness means offering blessings to our enemies despite the curses that they give us. Forgiveness means extending a gracious hand of servanthood to those who have hurt us. And oftentimes, though, this is the easy part. <laughs> we can work up the feelings of great nobility as we stoically go about the business of besting our enemies without uh, retaliating with self-control and resolve. And, and though it's, it may not be easy, this part of forgiveness is actually kind of feels good to us. But the harder part of forgiveness, which Joseph is going to show us, is helping lead the other person to repentance and confession. Now, repentance and confession uh, to the one who needs uh, forgiveness. Now, on the attitude side, confession isn't needed, okay? We can release our hurt and forgive other people whether or not they accept it. It doesn't matter. But on the justice side and on the relational side, repentance means everything. Even God doesn't justify a person apart from repentance. Nor does God reconcile with them without repentance. To bring a relationship back to wholeness, to, to make it full and finally satisfy justice, repentance must occur. And oftentimes it just takes nothing more than a simple, gentle confrontation when the person that has wronged us or sinned against us is a friend that we trust. Most of the time all it takes is us confronting them and saying, hey, did you know that you did this and said this and it hurt me, right? But when the other person is somebody that we don't trust or when we find that the wounds are too deep to overlook, then we must confront and we must help them to move that other person to the point of repentance. It is the only path to true reconciliation and to absolute forgiveness, and this is the work that Joseph had been doing in Genesis 42 through 44. He doesn't retaliate 
against his brothers. He doesn't toy with his brothers, but he opens up their hearts to their offenses that they had done with a view of renewal of their relationship. And then he gives us some actions in his example in how we too can move towards absolute forgiveness. And we find these in chapter 45. The first step to absolute forgiveness is to maintain confidentiality. And when we maintain confidentiality with somebody who has sinned against us, it removes embarrassment. This is what Joseph did with his brothers. Look at verse 1 of Genesis 45. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all of his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So notice what Joseph does here, okay? He has been trying to conceal his identity from his brothers to help lead them to repentance, but this was tearing him up. Every time that he saw his brothers, all he wanted to do was to run out to them and say, I'm Joseph, everything's going to be okay, right? I'm not dead. And finally, when he could take it no longer, he sends everyone but his brothers out. You see, Joseph wasn't trying to embarrass his brothers in front of the Egyptians, and Joseph also wasn't trying to show off his forgiveness either. He wanted to address his brothers the only ones that are concerned. He didn't want to make a big show of his forgiveness. Joseph isn't trying to embarrass his brothers. He simply wanted to lead them to repentance. Friends, when we offer forgiveness only so that we can embarrass somebody else, when we offer forgiveness only so that we can gossip about them later, then our hearts are far from the absolute forgiveness that Joseph shows us. Much like our zero is far off, when we offer forgiveness for these reasons, we are far from absolute forgiveness. Absolute forgiveness maintains confidentiality. And when we maintain confidentiality, we help remove, we help remove embarrassment. Our only desire is not to see the other person destroyed, but to see them led to repentance and to see them restored. Absolute forgiveness maintains confidentiality, removing embarrassment. The second thing that absolute forgiveness does is it draws others close and removes barriers from them. Look at what Joseph does in verse 3. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I would have been scared too if I tried to kill my brother, right? (laughs) And now here he is still alive in charge. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. Joseph draws his shocked brothers to his side, and he demonstrates his love to them. 
Joseph tries to remove any barriers that may have been there and draws his brothers close. They have rejected him and sold him into slavery, and yet Joseph goes out of his way to bring them near. Absolute forgiveness. It draws others close and removes barriers. Absolute forgiveness maintains confidentiality, removing embarrassment. And third, absolute forgiveness affirms God's sovereignty, and it removes despair. Look at what Joseph says next in verse 5. And now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to prepare or to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me the father to Pharaoh and Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Joseph tells his brothers, guys, look, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourself. You intended evil and harm on me, but God was sending me here to preserve your life. Joseph points his brothers back to a concept that they could not yet grasp, to the sovereignty of God. He shows that the sovereignty of God was working. Even though they intended evil for Joseph, God was working to use what they had done for evil for not only their good and Joseph's good, but also for the good of all of the world. You see, it's through one of Joseph's brothers, in fact, the one who said, hey, let's sell him into slavery, Judah. It's through Judah, this brother who is forgiven, and this brother who is rescued from this famine, that God would fulfill a promise that he had made to their great-grandfather, Abraham. He told Abraham that through your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. You see, God's sovereignty was at work because God had put Joseph there in Egypt to preserve the family line. Because through the family line of Abraham would come the Messiah, a boy named Jesus, who would become a man and would go to the cross to take on the sins of the entire world. When we see God's greatness, we don't need to see others grovel. When we see God's greatness, we don't need to see others grovel. Absolutely, absolute forgiveness, it affirms and focuses on God's sovereignty. And when we focus on God's sovereignty, it removes despair. It removes despair. Absolute forgiveness maintains confidentiality. Removing embarrassment, it draws others close, removing barriers. It, it, it affirms God's sovereignty, removing despair, and it buries the past. And when we bury the past, it removes blame. Look there at verse 24 
of Genesis 45. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, what's he say? Don't quarrel on the way. Joseph not only had buried the past and what they had done, but he is trying to convince his brothers to do the same. He doesn't want them fighting on their way back to their father. He doesn't want them casting blame. Well, it was your idea that you did this, and you're the one who said we should do this, right? He says, guys, don't, don't argue on the way. You see, absolute forgiveness buries the past. It removes blame. It reveals and restores what has been broken. They were led by Joseph to a feeling of guilt, and that guilt led them to repentance. But as soon as repentance was achieved, the past was buried. It was done. Joseph buries it, and then he, he tells his brothers to do the same. That he wanted them to feel the pain of what they had done, to feel the guilt of that, only so that it would lead them to repentance. And once they had repented, he buries it in the past to remove the blame. Absolute forgiveness maintains confidentiality. It, it removes embarrassment. It draws others close, removing any barriers that may be, be have come. It, it affirms God's sovereignty, uh, removing despair. It buries the past, removing blame. And finally, absolute forgiveness keeps on forgiving. And this helps remove fear. Turn just a couple of pages over to Genesis chapter 50. We fast forward a couple of years into the future of Joseph and his brother's life. And here we see that their father Israel, their father Jacob had died. And fear of retaliation comes back into the hearts of Joseph's brothers. And so Joseph continues to forgive, to remove that fear. And in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 50, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they have committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when the message came to him, Joseph wept. He was brokenhearted that his brothers hadn't, hadn't thought that he would forgive them continuously. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him, verse 18. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended harm on me, but God intended for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So years later, years later, after Jacob had died, the brothers feared that the only reason that Joseph was offering them forgiveness was uh, because of their father. 
and they feared being paid back. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You intended evil, but God intended good. He reminds them once again of God's sovereignty. You know, sometimes both the offender and the offended need more than one, a one time of reconciliation. Oftentimes we need an ongoing forgiveness. And absolute forgiveness keeps on forgiving. This helps remove fear. Absolute forgiveness, it maintains confidentiality, removing embarrassment. It it draws others close, removing barriers. It affirms God's sovereignty, removing despair. It buries the past, removing blame. It keeps on forgiving, removing fear. And anything less is like our zero. And it's far from absolute forgiveness. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, and as joyous and as fun as this holiday is, it probably also reminded you of some of the broken relationships that you have in your life. Probably also reminded you of some of the the friends and the family members whose relationships are torn. Maybe this week it reminded you of that friend or that family member that you need to you need to offer absolute forgiveness to. But Thomas, you don't know my brother. Thomas, you don't know my cousin. You don't know what they've done. You don't know what they said. Well, I want you to listen to what Paul says. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. This is the hard part. Forgive each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Notice that forgiveness is not based on whether or not the person deserves it. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is not based on whether or not the person deserves it because they don't. And neither do you. Neither do I. We are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Paul tells us in Romans 5 that while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. We didn't deserve forgiveness, and yet Jesus died for us anyway. And Paul says, you are to forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We forgive not because they deserve forgiveness, but because they don't. We forgive despite the fact that they don't. Because Jesus has forgiven us with the same type of absolute forgiveness that Joseph showed to his brothers. Now, just as Jesus does not make us accept his forgiveness, we can reject his forgiveness in the same way those that we forgive may also reject our forgiveness to them. We cannot make them accept our forgiveness. We cannot control whether or not that person that we are forgiving will accept it or remain. But guess what? We're called to forgive all the same. Here at Journey Church, we say that we follow the example of Jesus who sacrificed self for the needy, the hurting, and the lost. And friends, there is no greater way that we can follow Jesus' example in sacrificing for others 
by sacrificing our need for revenge and retribution and offering forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. And yes, our hope is that they will be led to repentance just as the kindness and the forgiveness of God has led us to repentance. But even if it doesn't, we still sacrifice self and we still forgive absolutely anyway. You know, for some of us, there are people in your life that you need to go to this week and forgive. And I want to challenge you to take the actions of Joseph that he has shown us towards absolute forgiveness as you approach them. Maintain confidentiality. Draw others close. Affirm God's sovereignty. Bury the past and keep on forgiving. This is what absolute forgiveness is. But friends, I want you to know this morning that not only do some of us need to offer some absolute forgiveness to others, but some of you need to experience absolute forgiveness for the first time. You see, this is the type of forgiveness that God has offered you and me through his son, Jesus. You see, just like Joseph's brothers, you and I have sinned. We have done wrong, but God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay for what you have done, to pay for our sins on the cross. And even though Jesus has paid the price, forgiveness still requires your repentance. So won't you come today and repent of your sins. Turn away from them and turn towards God. Won't you come and meet him in baptism today? Won't you come and experience absolute forgiveness of your sins that's only available through his son, Jesus? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the example of Joseph. We thank you that even though he could have retaliated He could have sought revenge on his brothers. We thank you that he loved them so much that he wanted to lead them to repentance. We thank you for the example that he has given us and how we can relate maybe even to our own family, maybe to those people who have hurt us. Father, we know that this type of forgiveness is far from easy. But Father, we also know that it is worth whatever it may cost us. Father, we thank you for offering this type of forgiveness through your son Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. That even while we were your enemies, he demonstrated your love for us in laying down his life. So, Father, help us to follow his example and to sacrifice our need for revenge, for a desire to see others restored to you and forgiven. Father, if there are those that are here, they're listening today that need to experience your absolute forgiveness for the first time, Father, would you, would you call them today? Would you lead them 
to come and repent, to come and put their trust in you. Would you lead them to accept your son, Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen.